Well, I, uh, I get to share something with you that is near and dear to my heart this morning. This idea of passing down the faith to the next generation. Obviously, I've made a career of it, but it's something that I want to do and would do, even if I wasn't getting paid for it, because um, I'm passionate about this. Uh, I, I want to share with you a little bit this morning about my own journey. Uh, where I've come from and how I've gotten here today and how my understanding of leadership and ministry has changed over the years. About 10 years ago when I was training to be a youth pastor, I was going to school, to Bible college, I was interning in a church, I was highly involved in youth ministry and uh, it was a great time of my life of just being, learning to be, being, being passionate about youth and, and learning about youth ministry. And of course, I was encouraged both in school and in church to provide a healthy, strong youth ministry. But the undercurrent of that was always in order to supplement what the church wasn't doing well. There were times, especially early on in my, in my ministry, where, where I was frustrated. I was, uh, I was struggling working in a church. I was struggling to be a pastor. I loved youth ministry, but I just there were tough first few years. And I would go to my mentors, and I would go to, to my Bible college people, and I would say, what do I do about this? I'm struggling with the church. I love youth ministry, but I'm struggling with the church. And they would say, you know what, don't worry about the church, just focus on the youth ministry. Just focus on, on, on building up the youth and creating this, this awesome ministry and just, you know, try and not let the church bug you. Now, I was always a little hesitant with this idea, but I did it. I kind of buried myself in the youth ministry and, uh, and I did my thing for a couple years, but I increasingly got uh, frustrated and discouraged and I started seeing a lot of red flags with that idea of ministry. Um, first of all, it concerned me a lot uh, how disconnected youth were feeling within the church. They loved youth, but they didn't like church at all. And, and I got increasingly frustrated with my own lack of ability to help move the church forward and, and have a voice to speak into, into how the church can be more relevant and more missional and more into the community. And so the last few years of ministry, I tried re- in my last church, I tried really hard to re-engage in the leadership of the church. And I tried really hard to bring the youth more into the scope of, of the whole church. We did things like I brought youth up a lot more on Sunday mornings to let the congregation see who they were. We did uh, mission highlights, we did outreach highlights, event highlights. I really encouraged the youth to see their church as their church, and so they started serving in kids' ministry, serving with ushering, and I just had them starting to get um, more connected to the church. And honestly, those last few years were substantially more fruitful as the youth got more connected within the larger body of the church. So I went off to school um, to Vancouver last year, and when I was looking for my next position, um, it was really clear to me that I was looking for a position. Um, I wanted to be in a smaller church where I felt like I could help lead the whole church in vision and in mission. And I wanted to make it really clear that I was not going to be the typical youth pastor that creates this really strong silo youth ministry that's separated from the church because I just so don't believe in that model at all. And I was drawn to this position because this is a great church. I love the three-site model. I, I love the size of all three of the communities. I feel like I can get to know people here. And honestly, I was really drawn to this position because it's not just a youth position. It's an associate position. Because I really want to be able to help lead the whole church move forward. And of course, a big part of my role is to help speak into the youth ministry. But I want to help bring the youth ministry alongside the church and help lead the church together. And so when I was looking for jobs, I wasn't even looking at youth pastor positions. I was looking for associate positions where I could continue to live out my passion for raising up the next generation, but within the context of 
of helping the whole church, not just the youth ministry. And so I was drawn here. I really like the model that, uh, that we have here. Traditionally, and this was a lot of what I uh, grew up learning. Are we good, Rick? Rick has left the building. <laughs> All right, traditionally, there are, uh, there, there's three models of youth ministry, and this is a lot of ways how I was taught. Uh, the first one is program. This is where the youth ministry is ba- based on um, entertainment. Got to get the kids to church. Got to entertain them. The whole thing is built on program. The second one is a charismatic leader. So this is where the whole youth ministry is built on the, on the, the passions and the gifting and the charisma of one great leader. And it's the job of the youth pastor to be the discipler of all the students. And everything um, begins and ends with one person. And the last one, or the third one, is an information center. And this is more of like a catechism class where it's more like religious instruction. And so lots of youth groups tend to fall into one of these three categories. But I'll suggest to you that all three are largely deficient because they don't draw on the strength of the larger Christian community. They're very much siloed. The youth ministry is not integrated within the life and the formation of the church. And this is what happens. You have the church, and this is, what I was, this is how I was functioning the first few years of ministry and how I was trained in a lot of ways. You have the church, but then you kind of have the youth ministry, and it's separate. It's a separate entity. And what I've come to learn over the years and what I'm trying to do here is that youth ministry has to be an integral part of the church, and it's got to be within the church body. Interestingly enough, um, small churches with little or no, or no youth groups actually have a higher rate of, of kids that stay in church after they graduate. And you know what the reason for that is? Is because really strong youth groups that are siloed from the church, they create this thing where kids love youth, but they have no idea how to be involved in church, and they graduate, and they don't feel connected anywhere anymore. And I see this over and over again, and this is why so many youth are leaving the church, because they were never actually connected to the church in the first place. And I believe that a healthy youth ministry functions like this, where the youth are an integral part of the entire church community. And the same goes for children. And the point that I want to make today is that I've come to believe that one of the defining factors of a healthy Christian community is the ability to pass down the faith. So the church working on that together. The youth and children are not to be siloed into a ministry apart from the church. They need to be seen as an integral part of the whole church. And so today I want to focus on the role our community plays on that. I have lots that I want to say, but as always, we should start with Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll I'll have it on the screen here, but it's always good to follow along in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Just to give you a bit of context, Moses... And Moses is leading his people through the desert. They've been going there for 40 years. And they're at the threshold. They've been waiting to enter into the promised land. And they're there. They're just about ready to get in. But Moses is not going to be the guy that leads them in. It's going to be Joshua. So Moses gives this great farewell speech, which is the entire book of Deuteronomy. And verse, or chapter 6 is very much the heart of his speech. And in a lot of ways, the very heart of the entire Christian um, Jewish message. And so this is what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you will eat and are satisfied, or when you are eat uh, and are satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and into the land of slavery. Ultimately, Moses says, don't forget about God. Life's about to get really good for you. You're going to move into houses you didn't build. You're going to have wells you didn't dig. Life's going to get really good for you. Don't forget about God. And what is the primary way we don't forget about God? Pass it on to the next generation. Make sure you pass on the faith. Now verse 4 is the Shema. This is the basic and essential creed for, for all Jews. Um, it's read before every Jewish service. It's the first verse that, the, that every child commits to memory. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You will, uh, you, you will be, uh, you'll remember that when somebody asks Jesus what's the most important commandment, He quotes this. Love God. And then of course Jesus adds love others as yourself. And this is what we are to pass down to our kids. And how do we do that? Well, I've got them underlined and highlighted there. First of all, this isn't just a lesson to be taught to our kids. It's got to be on our own hearts first. It's got to be real for us. And then we impress them on our kids. And there's some ways we do that. We talk about them. We, we exhibit them. We write them down. We inhabit this value among us. But what I really want to highlight, and we could spend a year talking about this whole passage, I want to just highlight three words, the very first three. Hear, O Israel. Moses is giving a speech to the entire community of Israel. He's standing probably on a hill and he's speaking out to the whole people. He says, Hear, O Israel, pass down the faith. This isn't a parenting seminar. He doesn't highlight parents and say, Parents, pass down the faith. Now, of course, parents are in the crowd, but he's saying, Community, all of you, pass down the faith. Of course, he was talking to parents, but he was talking to everyone else as well. We often think that because of the child-parent language in here that, that um, Moses was having a parenting seminar, but he wasn't. He was speaking to everyone. When Moses is delivering this message, he's making it a national issue, a tribal issue, and a family issue. And if you think, okay, Chris, you're pushing it way too far here. I think Moses is just talking to families of kids. Um, here's an interesting uh, quote on just the idea of family was substantially different back then. This is from Fuller Institute. Um, one of the leading youth institutes. I'll move this so everyone can read it. A family in the Old Testament would have included parents, children, workers, perhaps adult siblings with their own spouses and children. In fact, households could be compiled of as many as 80 people. These texts, such as Deuteronomy 6, which we just read, are discussing the communal raising of children. Our own, culture distance, our own cultural distance from these passages may cause us to put undue pressure on parents alone. Here's the point. Parents, I don't think I have to tell you that you play a significant primary role in raising your kids as Christians. But church, you play a significant primary role in raising our kids and passing down the faith. This is not just the job of the parents. Moses wasn't just talking to parents. He was talking to the entire Hebrew community. And this isn't just a sermon for parents. This is a sermon for all of us. This is a sermon for the church. I believe that as a pastor and as a dad, one of the most important things that I can do in the church is provide community for your kids that are going to be saying the same things that you are at home as parents. Parents, I want to tell you something that might take you a little bit off guard. 
your kids, especially as they start getting older into the teenage years, are going to need other adult influences other than you. And they will find it, whether you like it or not. Now, as a youth pastor, I have seen this firsthand. I've had kids come to me and tell me things and ask for advice that they would never go to their parents with. Why? These are great kids, and they have great parents. I knew their parents. They had a great relationship with their parents. But why? Because they're growing up. They're getting independent, and they want other adult voices in their life. This is natural. This is normal. We shouldn't be afraid of this. Here's an interesting statistic. I took a class... um, I took a class on conversion, and the prof was an expert on this subject. He's he's read everything there is to read, and one of the the papers was write your own conversion experience. And over the years, he's taught this so many times. He's read over a thousand conversion experiences, and he's read it historically and talked to many people. This is what he writes. The most effective catalyst for the the definitive moments in in a conversion process are not parents or peers, but the peers of parents. A pastor, teacher, coach, Sunday school teacher, or a neighbor. The blessing, encouragement, and challenge of these other adults often enable a young person to assume an adult faith. Thus, it is imperative that adults in Christian community recognize the importance of being present to the children of our peers. For them, at all ages, but particularly in their teen and early 20s, there is no substitute for our blessing and our encouragement. Isn't that interesting? Parent Parents or peers of parents are the most influence on teenagers. It's an amazing statistic for me. Uh, let me tell you about a really good friend of mine. His name is Drew. Uh, he looks like Flanders. He was called Flanders. He was a youth leader in, uh, in my last church. He was in his mid-40s. His kids were teenagers. He'd been doing youth ministry longer than I've been alive, just as a volunteer. A fantastic person. But... He wasn't your prototypical youth leader. He, he looked like Flanders and he acted like Flanders. If you don't know Flanders, this is Simpsons, and Simpsons kind of makes fun of Christians through Flanders. My last church, we had 25 leaders, up to about 25 leaders in our ministry, most of whom we were right beside the university, so most of whom were young, cool, hip, good-looking college students like me. And uh, oh, I'm glad you laughed. That's good. Okay. Yeah. And he was in his 40s. Guess who had the most influence in discipling our kids? It was Drew. I talked to my senior high boys. I was leading a group of senior high boys. We had a conversation about who's been influential in your life. And the w- one after another, they said, Drew. It wasn't the young, hip 20-year-old, although they have a huge role to play. It was the peer age of their parents who really spoke into the life of these teenage boys. I'm so encouraged about our leaders in our youth ministry. We have a great mix of young adults who are barely out of adolescence themselves that relate really well to our kids, but we have a great, very strong group of of older, middle-aged adults who are passionate about youth and speak into their lives in ways that 18-year-olds just simply can't. And I I just feel so blessed to be here and and to have the, the team that we do. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about our youth ministry in a little while. But I think as a leader, one of the most powerful things I can do for parents is to provide your kids with another adult who's going to be reinforcing the same things that you are at home. And so in light of this, one of the core life values, Laura and I have a couple core life values um, as we seek to raise our kids. And one of them is that we are going to fight very hard to provide our kids with adult role models. We know that this statistic is true and we've seen it in our own lives and all around us, so the least we can do is at least be intentional about who we're going to surround our kids with, who they're going to be able to look up to. 
we realize that although our influence and responsibility is huge, we need help. We need other people helping us raise our kids. And so one of the things that we, there's a couple ways that we do that. We do an annual camping trip every year in July. We hang out, we go with our best friends, friends we've grown up with. We all got married around the same time. We all had kids around the same time. doesn't matter where we move or, or where our lives take us. These will always be our friends for life. These are the people we want our kids hanging out with. And so all of us carve out a week in July. It is sacred time for us. It's not about camping with our friends. It's so much more than that. It's about our kids hanging out with adults that we want them hanging out with, that they're speaking into their lives and rubbing shoulders with. Um, Laura and I try really hard to have people in our home and go to other people's homes because we don't want to be such an insular family. We want our kids knowing other adults and rubbing shoulders with other adults. This is so important to us. Um, we're getting, becoming good friends with Shane and Kim Taylor and their kids. And our kids already are like, oh, can we go to Mr. and Mrs. Taylor's house? And they look up to their kids. You know, their kids are, you know, about five, six years older than our kids. And they talk about them all the time. They're already influencing them. So um, being strategic about the friends and the people that you have in your house. And then thirdly, one of the ways we value this is we will always attend a church that values children's and youth ministry. When I was candidating, one of the first questions I asked is, are there kids and do you take care of them? Because frankly, if there wasn't a good kids ministry, we would have definitely not come here. This is so important to us. So we come to a church that values children and values youth and works hard at passing down the, the faith because we can't do it alone. Let me tell you a really cool story about a dad who understood this. I read this and I was just blown away. His son was turning 13. They called it the summer of manhood. And they sat down, the two of them, and they said, okay, I want you to pick five men, adult men that you look up to, and you're going to spend one day over the summer with each man and just do whatever they want to do. And, and the man's job was just to provide one insight on what it means to become a man. So they did this all summer. So the kid got to have five days with five different guys. And then at the end of August, they sat down and they had a big barbecue, dad and son and the five other adult men. And the men spoke into the son and said, this is what I see in you. This is the man I see you're becoming. This is what I'm proud of you. And the boy would say, this is what I've learned from you. And they prayed over this boy. What a cool story. Here's a dad who got it. Here's a dad who wasn't trying to do it on his own and who understood the value of surrounding his kids with community. I just think that's such an amazing story. Let me give you another statistic here. Uh, Lifeway Research, they did a study on why 18 to 22-year-olds are leaving the church, and it's about up to 70 to 80% in the States. It's quite alarming. And this is what they find, those who stay. Teens who had at least one adult from church make a significant time investment in their kids or in their lives were more likely to keep attending church. More of those kids who stayed in church, by a margin of 46% to 28%, said five or more adults at church had invested time with them personally and spiritually. The more adults invested into teenagers' lives, the more likely they were to stay in church and stay Christian. I mean, the statistics are there. And so we have to be, we have to be intentional about surrounding our kids with other adults. And so the reality is, and I can attend, attest to this as a youth pastor, is that the older kids get, the more important it is for them to have adults that are speaking into their lives and having other voices other than their parents. And this is why I believe in kids' ministry and youth ministry, especially that small groups are so important. Because small groups isn't about teaching, it's about relationships. It's about people being intentionally involved in the lives of our children and in the lives of our youth. And this is why we do small groups. Small groups allow consistent and godly influence in the lives of our kids and our youth. So with all this in mind, let me get just really, really practical on you for a few minutes and just talk about some of the implications this has 
I'll get rid of this. Um, uh, let me tell you about what we do at youth here. Um, wh- wh- what I've come to believe is the best model to do youth. We have a one to four ratio leaders to students. I, I-, I try hard to have lots of leaders. It's not just about me. I'm certainly not the charismatic leader model. You know, there's some kids that don't even know their name yet, and they probably don't know who I am. And I think that's okay, because they have other leaders that are intentional about loving them and speaking into their life. And so we have about a one to four, four and a half ratio of adult to student. And, we, and our leaders, we have a great mix of young and old, um, mixing it up with their kids, and lots of parent-peer-aged leaders, because we've seen statistically how important that is. And our leaders are consistent and they're reliable. I've had leaders come and say, you know what, I can only give up once a month. I'm a great Bible study teacher. I want to come in and just download those kids with some information. I say, sorry, you know what, it's not about teaching for us. It's about consistency and it's about relationships. I've turned people away because I want them to be there every week consistently speaking in the lives of our youth because that's what we value here. Um, and I constantly talk about relationships over lessons with our kids. Yes, we teach. Of course, we're presenting the gospel. Of course, we're opening up scripture. But the most important thing is that we are involved in the lives of the youth and loving them relationally. Um, another thing, uh, recognize how absolutely crucial it is for youth to be involved in the corporate body. I'm so, if, you, if you guys ever get the chance, come on a Saturday night to Nelson. Half that church is youth. It's amazing. I, when I was candidating in May, I was just blown away. It was, that, that was when I knew I was supposed to be here. When I saw like 30 youth sitting in a church service. My last youth group, we had over 100 kids and we didn't have nearly as many show up on Sunday morning church service as we do here. It's so important that our youth are part of the corporate body because that way we're avoiding the silo ministry and that way the youth get to rub shoulders with you guys and get to see an intergenerational worship. And so I fight for that, and I encourage that. It's one of the reasons we don't do a lot of Friday night events. Because inevitably, a youth will choose Friday night over Saturday night, and I want them coming Saturday night to church. It's so, so important. Um, Intergenerational corporate worship. And then, of course, we're trying to partner with parents, and I could do a better job of this. We're working on it. We had a parenting seminar a couple weeks ago, and that was just really, really great just to talk about some things. Um, I try to tell parents, here's what we're doing in youth. Here's some of the things that we're teaching so that you can ask questions afterwards. You know, I encourage parents, ask your kids, what are they learning? Um, What are they picking up? So that you can continue the conversation so that church and parents are partnering well together. And then I think a lot of the same things apply to a children's ministry. Um, I don't think I have to tell anyone here that children's ministry is not a babysitting service so that parents can sit in the service here. It is an absolutely crucial part of what it means to be the church. What is going on in those rooms over there might be the most important thing this entire this church does. Did you know that statistically, about 20 years ago, um, most people had made up their mind about Jesus in senior high. About 10 years ago, it was junior high. And about 5 years ago, it changed to grade 5. Most kids have made a decision by grade five, which means that what's going on, going on over there is probably the most important thing that we're doing as a church, is telling our kids about Jesus and passing on the faith. And so we need people that are passionate about kids and working with kids. Um, we need consistent leaders that are willing to engage in relationships with them, not just plow through some child curriculum, but engage in them relationally. You know, I was, I was thinking back, I cannot remember a single teacher I had in elementary school, but I can remember three of my Sunday school teachers. And I don't remember a thing they taught me. I just remember that they loved me and that they cared for me. And it made a huge difference on where I am today 
is that I had adults that cared about me when I was a child. Another thing, and I love, again, that we do this as a church in all three of our sites, is that kids worship with us. My last church, we were too big, it was too inconvenient. You'd show up at church and you'd drop your kids off at Sunday school for the hour and a half, and they never got to mix it up with the rest of the church. I love that the kids get to be part of our service here. And I will always fight for that to be a value of our church, no matter how big we get. Because it's important to me that my kids see you worshiping. And I think it's encouraging to you to see my kids here and all the other kids here. And we can't separate them. We can't separate our uh, generations. It's important that we are together. Um, Partnering with parents. I think a children's ministry needs to partner with parents um, in what's being taught and how to continue the dialogue at home. In my last church, we had a fantastic children's pastor who got this. And every week he'd send home a package with, to the parents and said, this is what your child learned in Sunday school today and here's a couple questions you can ask them throughout the week. So that parents and church are partnering together in passing down the faith and raising kids. So that's just um, a tangible idea. Um, I would also suggest, um, ideally, that we have people other than moms teaching Sunday school, at least to their own kids. Because I'll speak for Laura, my wife. She's with my kids 24-7. She's talking, about with God, talking with them about God 24-7. I want Zoe to have, my four-year-old, I want her to have another voice in her life telling her about God. If Laura's teaching her Sunday school, then Zoe never gets another voice in her life. And so, if possible, ideally, to not have moms teaching their kids because they're doing it already in their homes. Um, some of the implications for us as a church... Um, we have to fight hard to make our kids and our youth feel welcomed here, to go out of our way to make sure they know that they, this is their church and we love them and we care for them. They need to know that they're belonged and that they're loved. I'll never forget this, uh, this image in my head. long time ago, a church I was going to, I was 15, I walked out of a church and there was a girl smoking and a guy behind me just ripped into her, told her how ungodly she was, how unwelcome she was at church, I was just like, I was boiling. I didn't say anything. I should have. But uh, that is not welcoming the next generation. We have to go out of our way to make sure that they are loved and accepted and that we say, you are so important to us. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you're into, you are valued to us. We have to fight for that because we can do so much harm as a church to young people. Um, just in the things we say or the way we act, so we have to be really conscious of that. Um, corporate worship. As a church, we are a spiritual family. We are an intergenerational community. We've already seen statistically how important it is to have adults rubbing shoulders with kids. Therefore, your presence here is important. Just by being here at church you, you, is a ministry because my kids get to see you worshiping. Church, we know this. Church isn't about you and it's not about what you get out of it. We need your help in inspiring the next generation for faith. And just by being here and loving them and valuing them, you are saying so much about what you want your church to look like. I see huge red flags when churches segregate age groups. You know, especially larger churches do this. I mean, my, my, the church I worked at before um, did this. Um, you got this youth worship service, you got a young adult worship service, you have a contemporary worship service, and you have a traditional worship service. And a lot of this is because we're trying to make people happy We're trying because people are thinking church is about them and so I need my own worship style to make make me happy. But what inevitably happens is we break up the generations and we're no longer a healthy functioning church and youth never get to see, you know, 70-year-olds that have been Christians for 60 years worshiping. I think that is so valuable. 
You know, and faithful Christians, 70 years old, never get to be encouraged by five-year-olds worshiping God. We're in this together. We are a corporate body. Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the whole entire community. He wasn't isolating any single generation. He was saying it to everyone. So I've said a lot this morning. I just want to recap real quick. Parents, you have the primary responsibility to raise your kids as Christians, but you should not be doing it alone. You can't. A healthy Christian community plays a huge role in that process. A healthy Christian community is raising healthy Christian kids together, and so therefore we must be intentional about surrounding our kids with other adult influences and role models that are speaking into them, and intergenerational connection is huge. And I'll end with this. We are going to be dedicating Sydney in our church in a couple weeks, and I know you guys are going to be dedicating Shalem in a couple weeks here. And what we're doing, what we're saying to the church is we need your help. We need your help. Help us raise our kids. We can't do this alone. And we are coming to you and saying we need the help of God and we are dedicating our children to God, but we are also saying please help us raise our kids and pass down the, next, pass down the faith to the next generation. Oh, yes, lots to say, but uh, let's pray.